Hello, everyone. It's Lee Henson, President and Founder of Agile Dan. It's time for today's episode of the Daily Stand-Up. So without any further ado, let's get started. Today, I was asked to review an article. It was written and published in July of 21 by Martin Dalman. Dalman. I hope I pronounced his name correctly, but Martin, it's a great article. This one's ta- this, this article discusses the 11 laws of software estimation for complex work. Now, when I saw these 11 laws, I thought, oh, my goodness, this is going to be a very dogmatic, systematic way to enforce estimation practices. And he kicks it off with, you know, a very large section, you know, setting the stage and then goes into insane estimates doomed us from the start. Amen. Right. Right away, he comes in and says, you know, hey, estimation is insane if it's not done correctly. But I want to spend time focusing on each of these 11 things. And I know I want to keep this in 15 minutes or less. So let's try to get each one covered in 60 seconds or less. Are you ready? Here comes the gauntlet on your marks. Get set. Go. Number one. So these, once again, just to make sure we're all on the same page, 11 laws of software estimation for complex work. Law number one. Law number one says the work will still take the same amount of time regardless of how accurate your estimate is. Yes, yes, yes. The exact wording is the work still takes the same amount of time regardless of the accuracy of your estimate. Let me tell you, that it, that couldn't be more true. The amount of time it takes isn't going to change. Now, the way that I explain this, which is really interesting, is I like to use you know a painting analogy. And I say, how long is it going to take to paint this wall? And while we all have different skills and tools and this and that. The truth is, when you put the whole team together, the size of the wall hasn't changed, and the wall still needs to be painted, and you still need to do a good job. So if the size of the wall never changes, then that estimate should be pretty sound. And I like his analogy. He uses the analogy, how many pennies are in this jar? And the jar is full of all kinds of change, pennies, nickels, quarters, dimes, etc. And when you ask how many pennies are in a jar, jar, you know, the answer is most likely your estimate's going to be wrong. Yes? There's no way for you to conclude just looking at a picture of the jar or holding the jar. There's no way for you to conclude exactly how many pennies are in there unless you actually empty the jar and count them out. So I think what they're trying to say here is your perception of delivery isn't always the truth about what delivery is. So uh, this is true. The work's still going to take the same amount of time regardless. So instead of trying to figure out who's going to do it in the fastest amount of time or individual velocity, if we just look at the team's uh, size estimate and say, you know, this is how many things we can produce in that amount of time, we're probably going to have a far more accurate estimate. All right. Law number two, no matter what you do, estimates can never be fully trusted. After all, the definition of estimate is a guess. It's a prediction where we make, uh, it's a prediction we make with too little information. If you're doing complex work, the lack of information is going to cause your estimate to be wrong. Wow. And I love the sentence. He says, that's why you and your leaders should never trust estimates. Okay. So here it is. Ready? I think that this is a misnomer. I think that you can trust estimates, but you can never fully trust estimates. So I want to get you in the realm of, you know, uh, the way I explain this in class is when you use time-based estimation studies show, and this was Gartner, I believe that did this, but the study shows that you're roughly 17% accurate with your time-based estimates. If you do something more along the lines of planning poker with heavy meetings and breaking everything down and understanding, you can get closer to 30 to 40%, somewhere in that 34 to 36% range. If you use just uh, size-based estimates and let the team get their head around the scope of the work instead of the time of the work, you can get that up to 70 to 85% pretty quickly based on how you execute. 
So I think, you know, you can trust your estimates more if you do an estimation correctly. But to their point, you know, you're not going to get perfect estimates every time. All right. Coming at number three, the third law says imposing estimates on others is a recipe for disaster. Amen, brother. So <laughs> just because Michael says it's going to take three hours doesn't mean it's going to take Susie three hours or Kim three hours or Dale three hours. I think what you need to know is that just because Ritesh or Swap Milk can do it faster or slower doesn't mean that everyone else can do it in the same amount of time. If you want better buy-in and more accurate estimates, you have to let the people who are actually doing the work have some say in their estimate. And it shouldn't be based on a time-based value. Once again, we're back there. Estimates should flow according to the size or scope of the opportunity, not based on time. And if you're forcing time-based estimates upon another person, you're definitely going to have, your estimates are going to be a nightmare if you do that. You're going to have all kinds of things uh, not good, right? Coming in at number four, law number four talks about estimates become more reliable the closer to completion of the project we are. This is also when they are the least useful. I love that ending statement. You're right. The closer you get to, and the, the analogy I always use here is I, if, I, if I set you up at the beginning of a really long hallway and I said, how many steps is it going to take you to get to the end of the hall? And then I let them take 10 steps and I stop them and say, okay, now how many steps do you think it's going to take you to get to the end of the hall? The closer you get to the end of the hall, the more accurate your forecast or estimate is going to be. But at the beginning of the hallway, you had no idea. So I think with this one, the estimates do become more reliable, but once you're two steps away from the end of the hall, me asking you how long is it going to take you to get to the end of the hall is kind of a moot point, right? Because you're already at the end of the hall. So I think what we need to realize is even when you're nearly done, you can still discover something that blows up in your face or, or, or you know, there's lots of things that can happen that cause massive consequences. So I think that if you're going to get reliable estimates, you need to be asking the right questions and getting those estimates early enough that they make sense but not so early that we don't know enough, right? Coming at law number five, uh, the more you worry about estimates, the more certain things can be that you have. Let me read this one more time. The more you worry about your estimates, the more certain you can be that you have bigger things that you should be worrying about instead. Interesting. So if you're constantly worried about estimates and forecasting, you know, it becomes an obsessive focus on when will it be done instead of, what am I going to get that's good enough that's going to satisfy the customer early and often? It brings your focus on output instead of on outcome. And I think that we really need to focus on outcome and making our end customers happy more so than we do focus on the estimates and focus on solid output. Coming in at law number six, when you suck at building software or anything for that matter, your estimates will suck. <laughs> when you're great at building products and services, your estimates will be mediocre. <laughs> What a great law. That is absolutely true. You're never going to get estimation perfect. So mediocre is okay. And, you know, granted, I teach teams how to do a little bit better to mediocre. But I think what the point is here is that if you're building things that are hard, you know, it's not going to be easy for you to give those estimates to begin with. So your estimates are going to suck. And even if you do it for a while, your estimates are still going to suck. They're just going to suck less. It's like, and I love the analogy he uses here, the meteorologist, right? The weather person who's trying to predict the weather. If you're trying to predict the weather two or three weeks out, chances are you're, yeah, you might be close, but you're going to be more wrong than right. But no matter what you do, you can't guarantee that estimates are going to be perfectly accurate uh, because you just can't make that guarantee. All right, come in at number seven. The biggest value in estimating isn't the estimate itself, but checking if there's a common understanding. This one is gold. I haven't even read the rest yet, and I can tell you that this one's probably going to be my favorite. 
I think that the value you get from going through the process of trying to figure out whether something's small or large is to make sure everyone's on the same page, to talk about things where we have huge discrepancies or differences. And this is where I get into battles with Agilists all over the world, where I talk about the importance of having a product owner do an initial estimate on an item for what they feel the size or scope of the item should be, and then having a team do a subsequent estimate later without seeing the product owner's initial estimate and doing a comparison. I think that this is going to help people get on the same page, help you have a greater understanding of what's being asked for. And most importantly, it's going to provide that value and estimate. So we're all, we, we all know what we're talking about, right? It gives us a chance to come together and collaborate. And it, it educates the product owner on how long it really takes to do certain things because sometimes they underestimate. And it educates the team on what the product owner is asking for and how to have a better understanding of that. Powerful, powerful, powerful tool. Coming in at number eight, the eighth law says, keeping things simple is the best way to increase the accuracy of your estimates. Removing complexity, removing uncertainty, making things simple, your estimates are going to be better. Could not agree more. This one, you know, caught Captain Obvious, but the more you overcomplicate things, the more they're going to blow up in your face. The less you overcomplicate things, the easier it's going to be to get your head around the scope and size of what you're trying to build. Once again, right on target. Coming in at number nine, law number nine says... Building something increases the accuracy of estimates more than talking about how you're going to build it. Wow. Promoting an MVP, go figure, a minimal viable product or a minimal viable system. Yes, yes, yes. When you build something and throw it out there, that's going to increase the accuracy of your estimate because then you can break it down into smaller pieces and say, hey, you know, we, we built this working prototype or this walking skeleton and tell me what you think about this. Even if it's scratched up on paper, it's better than not having anything at all to get your estimates around. You could sit here and talk about how long it's going to take you. I mean, I could talk about how long it's going to take me to run a marathon when the answer really is forever because I'm never going to run a marathon, right? Even if I started, I wouldn't finish. I shouldn't say I'll never run a marathon. I just don't think I'll ever have the desire to run a marathon, right? If I do, it'll be by force. But <laughs> I'll do a nice bike ride, but I don't think I'll ever do a marathon. But the point is, you can't you can't just talk about what you're going to do and expect for your estimates to be exact. I mean, I could sit here and talk about you know how fast I can run a 100-yard dash. It doesn't mean that I really can. And the more I talk about it, the less likely my estimate is to be accurate. There we go. So don't just try to be book smart and don't just try to talk about things. Get out there and do it. Be street smart too. Okay, law number 10. Breaking all the work down into the smallest details to arrive at a better estimate means you'll deliver the project later than if you hadn't done that. Okay, I'm going to read that one again because that one, that's close to my favorite. I still like the other one better. But this one says breaking all the work down to the smallest details to arrive at the best estimate means you'll deliver the project later than if you hadn't done that at all. That is so true. Spending time trying to break everything down into the most elaborate, detailed, micro-detailed plan oftentimes means that you're going to run into more things that you didn't consider than things that you run into normally, period. When you don't spend the time for the elaborate plan and you jump into reality and figure things out, it's going to be faster for you to process that information and get to the end than it would be for you to have everything broken down to minutia. So my rule is small in size or scope, everything should be extra small or small, size one or two, you know, in a Fibonacci sequence. You never want things larger than that if possible. But you also don't want to spend time breaking everything down into the minutia of the tasks of execution and estimating those in minutes. 
if you're going that far, you're going way too far. I mean, even estimation in any time base, for my opinion, is going way too far. Even hours for tasks is way too far. I think that you have to draw a line in the sand and say, this is how far we're going to break things down. And that that's going to give us the optimal opportunity to gain understanding without going so far that we're trying to dictate minutia. Love it. And finally, number 11 is punishing wrong estimates is often like punishing a child for something they, they don't and can't know yet. Uh, now, this one caught me off guard. So I'm going to read the next paragraph to kind of clarify. It says, some companies believe that it, it, it's possible to produce perfect estimates as teams mature and become stronger, that you'll get better at estimating as you go along. Therefore, any team that is not able to produce accurate estimates is simply incompetent and needs to be disbanded. If you punish a team for making inaccurate estimates, you're penalizing them for things that are simply out of their control. I've seen this with children. I've seen this with teams, right? And I love this final paragraph. It says, it's like punishing a child for something they can't and don't understand yet. It's a form of bullying that leads to panic and anxiety without producing any tangible positive benefits. I think that this is a very nice way of summarizing that you can't punish people for giving wrong estimates. I mean, what they don't know is what they don't know. And I think that it comes out as we build things. So I, I know these 11 laws are kind of out there, but let me tell you, past performance is not a guarantee of future results. You need to get your estimates right, but you also can't always get things figured out, right? Uh, and I love this little closing piece, so I'm going to say it real quick. It says, in 1943 at a casino in the USA, the color red won 32 times in a row at a casino. It's easy to fool yourself that there's some kind of pattern, but the truth is it's all a gambler's fallacy, right? There's no way, even with something that's so predictable, you can be that predictable. So I hope this is helpful to you. As always, we encourage you to tune in to the Daily Stand-Up every day so you can learn more about Agile and how you can become better. And as always, we encourage you to stay healthy, stay well, and stay agile, my friends. Until next time, do take care.